All right. It is good to see you this morning. From where we are to where we need to go, we got a long ways to go. Sounds like a country song. So uh, find a seat. Man, what a great week. The whole Miller family just got back from Oklahoma. We celebrated Gwen's father's uh, retirement. He has pastored at that church 29 years. He had pastored a total of 64 years, if I'm not mistaken. And and uh, all of our family was there. And it just, man, was an honor to see all those people and, and uh, just reminisce over the years. It, 1992 was good for the Millers. They, uh, John and Gwen, uh, that was me, we took the church in 1992. So January of this year will be 30 years for us. The same year, the same year, uh, <laughs> the same year Luke came into the world, very important for us. And that was the year that also uh, Gwen's parents uh, took that church. So uh, I always tell him, even though he's pastored a lot longer, I've pastored longer at this church than he had. And um, anyway, so we are blessed to have uh, that heritage in our family. This morning, I want to remind you that we're in a series uh, and we're talking about uh, different steps. And when you come to know God, that there's a transformation process that takes part in our life. Uh mainly, you know, in our mind, and when our mind changes, let me tell you, let me ask, uh, Mark, would you come over here into my office and turn off that air conditioning? We, we position those vents just right to blow off the speaker's nose. And also, if you have a unity candle at your wedding, and we have that on, you cannot keep that unity candle lit. <laughs> You know how embarrassing it is for a wedding that you can't keep the unity candle lit? It's a sign. Those poor couples sit up there and they just start, it won't keep a lit. So hopefully we'll be done with that. But as we're, we're talking about transformation that takes place in our life, just because you've been a, a believer for, say, 20 years, doesn't mean that you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind. You might have heard a lot of sermons. You might have gone uh, from, you know, where you didn't want to be to a better place, you know, in God. But the transformation process takes place over time. And, and I'm speaking from experience because, you know, to thump your chest and say, you know, this isn't my first rodeo doesn't mean that you've come to the knowledge of everything that God has for you. And especially the things that I'm going through right now in my life. Can I tell you this? Right now in my life, I'm still saying, God, give me again revelation of who you are. Is there anybody there besides John Miller? Because let me tell you, if you're waiting on me to start preaching, you're already behind. Let's go. This morning, I want us to get to the place where we realize that the first step is knowing who God is. Not with who somebody says God is, but who God says He is in His Word. The second step that we'll, we'll progress to over the weeks is learning who God says we are. And the revelation through His Word that when we begin to read the Word of God of who we are in Christ, all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness. And then the third step is the authority of the believer that a lot of times, there, there's a lot of people that go to church, a lot of people that will say, I'm a believer, but they've never walked in the authority that God has given them. So this morning when we get to the place of understanding who God is, it is the most important thing that you'll ever know. And if you don't remember any of this series, remember this. When you would come to somebody that's a mentor of yours or a, a pastor or someone and say, what, what do you think that I need to do? Here's what I'll tell you. Just get alone with God and get more of God. Now you're going to say, well, can you give me a specific? Can you give me a technique? Do I need to stand on one foot? Do I need to hold my mouth? Get alone with God. It is so important. for In our lives, we are so busy 
that we can't hear God's voice speaking to us. Quickly turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to start with the main text, but we're going to come back to that later. We've been talking about the covenant, and at the end of this service, we're going to remind ourselves of the covenant that we have with Christ, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper again for the second week in a row. And if you're wondering, yes, next week we'll do the same thing. On Father's Day, Pastor? Yes, on Father's Day. We're going to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Last week we talked about Abram and how Abram cut covenant with God. And we just remember we went in Genesis how God says, I am your child and your great reward. If you make me your God, you'll be my people. And as God cut covenant, literally, there was a ceremony of cutting, as we've talked about, that I don't have time to go into. Please go back and listen to that. But in cutting covenant, Abraham started by faith, believing in God and walking out what he believed. A covenant was is, is very uh, important for us to realize that it's not something that you do uh, just casually with somebody. And especially during this Old Testament time, this was something of life and death. Now, now listen to this, because this is one of the, I believe that today that if, if you're in a place where you say, Pastor, I just need, I need more of God, my, my circumstances, did you hear me? I need Him to be a way maker. If He's a miracle worker, then He needs to show me this message. It's going to change your life. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is after David has defeated Goliath. And if there's any pride in Saul or Jonathan, Saul is Jonathan's son, this is where it would have originally come in. But, but they're so um, enticed by this young man named David. They're, they're so interested because he's, he's walking in the way of God. He has the anointing on his life. He is a covenant believer. And how do you know that? Is because when the enemy, the giant is out there, the circumstance, the mountain in his life was yelling back at him. We went through this a couple weeks ago. What did David say? Remember, he goes to, to Saul and says, who is this uncircumcised guy? He says it to Saul. He says it to the men that are around. He says it to the giant himself, Goliath. You're not in the covenant of the believer. I don't know who you are, but you're going to blink once and die in the dark, buddy. Because I have a covenant with God Almighty. And David, walking in that, Saul and Jonathan immediately, like a magnet, come around him. And the passage says this. This is the next passage, but it's in chapter 18. It says, when David had finished speaking to Saul, the son of John, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own life. Now, now I want you to listen to this. This, I believe, again, I'm, I'm very cautious of symbolic, you know, uh, passages in the scripture, you know, this, this, is this, and this. But I really believe that God puts this in the word of God to show the love of God for us. In verse 2, it says, Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own life. Did you let me let me read that again because you, you got to get that. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own life. Do you believe in the goodness of God? Do you believe it goes as far as God loves you as his own life? Let me prove it. He loved us so much that he sent his own life, his son. And Jonathan, in doing this, in cutting covenant, it says this, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he was, that was on him and gave it to David in his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his girdle. Now, when you read that in the Amplified, you go, girdle, whoa, 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 whoa. Because our, our Western 
civilization thinks of a girdle as a feminine product. But a girdle was everything that your weaponry was held on. When, when somebody gave you or gave somebody their robe, that was a signification of who that person was. Jonathan was of royal royalty and of a royal family, and every time somebody would see that robe, they would recognize it as the son of the king. Every time, if, if you remember the story, and if, if you've read the Bible, and hopefully you're doing it, but, but earlier it says that the Philistines come against the Israelites and they had already taken out the enemy before Israel has a king and they're weaker. The enemy has come into all the countryside and taken all the blacksmiths out. So the Israelites have no weapons. The only person or people that had weaponry was Saul and his son Jonathan. And, and when you hear this, Jonathan giving his sword, we think, well, everybody had a sword. This was very valuable. But he was speaking and everybody knew what he was doing in the ceremony of giving the gift of his sword, his weaponry to David. That's how much he loved it. When somebody picks on you, they're going to pick on me, Jonathan was saying. That's how much I love you, David. We don't hear, we don't read if David returned any of his weaponry, but this was customary of exchanging gifts to seal the blood covenant. Usually two people were uh, severed, cut in some way, and their blood mixed, and therefore it was an indication of because of that scar that those two were now blood brothers. Let me step out of this for a minute. When you and I go through life, the, the thing that we get to the place of wanting to know our purpose in life, you know, Rick Warren wrote a book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, and Purpose Driven it, it sold more than anything, and he gave nearly everything back to the ministry. And, and I was intrigued by how popular that book was because people are looking, what is my purpose in life? And I know that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't mean that you know your purpose. As I told you before, a man in a fitness center, he's about 80 years old, and I see him, and he's kind of out of breath. And, he, yeah, I'm up here exercising. I said, oh, well, good for you. you know. And he says, well, you know, I, I, may, I turn 80. And he says, you know what? I've had two heart attacks, one stroke. And, you know, he went through all the list of, you know, he took a minute, and he started reading all this. I'm going, oh, my goodness, I don't know why I'm still here, but God has a purpose for me. I said, dude, you need to sit down and start praying. But, but here's what I know. is As we all want to know our purpose in life and we're, we're seeking that, sometimes we're looking in the wrong place because we say, why am I here? And even some of us as believers that as we progress and, and the transformation process is uh, changing us and renewing our mind and we begin to see different and words begin to change our thinking all the way through our destiny. When we begin to walk in a new destiny, we become somewhat of a humbled person and we go, why am I here? I don't deserve this. Today, I want to show you something because what I understand is when we seek our purpose, fear begins to come in and robs us of our potential. If we are able to understand who God is and the love of God for us, hear me, the love of God stands up and nullifies the fear that is trying to rob us of who God has created us to be. When you read Ephesians 2.10 to somebody that says that... Uh, God predestined us to do good works and we're his masterpieces. And some people go, oh, oh, oh. and it looks so humble. And you go, hey, 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 cut that out. That's false humility. God has created you with a purpose, but so many times we allow fear to step in and rob us. The children of Israel in the Old Testament constantly saw this, so I'm going to use them as kind of the illustration. 
and it, it kind of eases the buffer. If I would say, you know, you know, people in our church have been used as a whooping boy of fear, and they say, hey, Jim, Bob, Sam, would you stand up? And everybody'd be, oh my goodness. So let's use the children of Israel. What, what, what do you say? Everybody says, amen to that. Get them, Pastor, get them. In Isaiah 30, if you've been here, you know this. I quote it, Lisa quotes it. In Isaiah chapter 30, the, the enemy is coming in. And all through our lives, the enemy is coming in. And it might not be an army like in the Old Testament, but the enemy is always coming into our lives. And the enemy comes in, and, and God says to his people in chapter 30, verse 15, he says, For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning to me. Come on back here. But not just in returning to me, in the middle of the fear, when the fear is trying to rob you, return to me, you shall be saved. It says, and resting in me, resting in me, you shall be saved in quietness and in, listen to this, trusting confidence so shall be your strength. But it says, they were not. Now let me ask you, in, in finding our purpose and understanding the love of God, and it, it comes in and nullifies the fear. The what if. What if, Pastor? What if this happens? What if? That's fear. But you're not allowing the love of God to be the love of God. We, we confess today with our mouth that we, saw, we sang the song, I believe that you are who you say you are and you will do what you... Well, this is what God's saying. If you'll return to me. Now, now listen, a lot of times we think it's salvation that, that we're away from... No, 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 no. In our lives, it's when we get so busy that we begin to listen to the, you know, the soup that we're actually marinating in called the world. And those voices come back, you know, is, is God going to do it? Is he going to? So, so listen to this. God says, in returning to me and resting, just, just waiting. Waiting. If you go down to verse 18, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, I love all the Bible, and you'll find out that I got a lot of them, but here's my favorite verse right now. Is God good? Listen, it says, and therefore the Lord earnestly waits. Can you say the word wait with me? Wait. Say it again. Wait. Get ready. I'm going to say it. I'm going to have you say it again. And therefore the Lord earnestly waits, expecting. The Amplified kind of, you know, turns up. What does wait he expectingly and he's looking and he's longing to be gracious to you. And therefore he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you. Did you hear the first two things? To show grace and mercy to you. Well, he doesn't know. Well, I guess he does know what I do. And then it says, and show loving kindness to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Now, now here, here's what we're going to get into weeks, you know, after this. But this is so good, I can't leave it up. If you're blessed, the person that is happy, listen, even to be envied. Who, who's envying this person? The person that isn't in the covenant of God. They're not bad. They just aren't here yet. But those people are envious of the blessed and the happy person. Watch this. Blessed, happy, happy, fortunate to be envied are all those who earnestly wait. Can you say wait? Wait for him. And how are you waiting for him? Look, at it says, who expect, look, and long for him. What are you looking for him? His victory, his favor, his love, his peace, his joy, his matchless, unbroken companionship. When you get down in your mouth, you know what I mean? You know what you do when you get down in your bag? You're, oh my goodness, I can't get, you know. When you get down in your mouth, here's what you do. I hope God's going to come through. Come on. I wish I could say all of you unspiritual people, but I would be saying that about John Miller. It's a constant transformation and, and working the Word of God in our life. 
I've got so much to say right now. So, so look at this. And when, when we're waiting, when we're patient, when we're listening, to, when we're longing for God to show up in our life. But the next passage is also in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Just turn to there real quick. Or, or flip the screen real quick. All right. It says this in, in chapter 40. Maybe you've heard like these, those that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength as you Okay, here's in the Amplified. It says, and he knows everything inside and out. Everybody believe that? He energizes those who get tired. Anybody in here ever tired? Huh? Just tired of doing life. You got to put a mask on. I don't want to put a mask on, you know? He energizes those who get tired. Gives fresh strength to the dropouts. I've been a dropout. God, I don't want to be a dropout. But he's given me strength. Get back up. For even young people. That's walking in your identity. Even some of the older folk. Yeah, that's me. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. Do, do you believe that? Do you believe that even people in their prime fall? If, if Come on now. If your nose is too far in there. So what is the solution? Let's read on. It says this. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait, say wait, wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. See, see, fear is yelling at you. Is God really a God of love? And until you get this first-hand revelation, until you get along with God, you begin to pray. You begin to say, say God, are you who you say you are? Allow God to be God in your life. Again, I don't care if you're 12, you just graduated out of the children's ministry. Praise God for you being in here today. But maybe you're 1,005, and you remember Methuselah. I don't care. The age does not matter. Fear is yelling, is God really the God of love? You know that trouble shows up to ask one question, and what is that? Who are you? And when you talk back to the trouble of the circumstances that are in your life, and you go, I'm a child of the king. I, I, I can do this. I'm not going to give up. And I know that you know it might look like I'm doing nothing. And, and for me, it might look like God's doing nothing. But I might not feel like anything's happening. But he's a way maker. And he's working on my behalf. Okay. Please, get a, get a visitor's card out. Get, get a pen out. If you don't have it, write this on your hand. Take a picture of this slide. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 13. Isaiah 41.13, Luke said he does my sermons. He doesn't build my, he just puts them on the slides. I want to clarify that. I pay Luke to do all my sermons. No, I'm just kidding. All right, Isaiah 41.13, the other Isaiah 40.13. I'll give you a minute to put it up and I'm going to read it. Listen to this. This is out of the message. This is God talking to his people. Listen, that's right, because I, your God, have a firm grip on you, and I'm not letting go. I'm telling you, don't panic. I'm right here to help you. Let me tell you, that verse did so much to me this week. In the middle of the storm and circumstances that you're going through that I don't know and you don't know what I'm going through. 
and, and to hear the love of God spoken into my life through that passage of scripture. Can, can you see yourself and you're praying and you're saying, God, I, I got to have a breakthrough. I, I, I've got all these circumstances happening in my life. I've got people that are hurting, people that are in the hospital. God, I need a breakthrough. And God says, that's right, because I, your God, have a firm grip on you. And I'm not letting you go. I'm telling you, don't panic. I'm right here to help you. Isaiah 41, verse 13. Now this morning, I, I, I did that part of the sermon to have you understand that the covenant is a covenant between us and God Almighty. And all that trouble does is try to come and talk you out of that God is who he says he is. Therefore, the covenant between us and God is null and void, or at least it's powerless. In 1869, the New York Herald newspaper sent a correspondent overseas named Stanley, Henry Stanley. And the reason was that a lot of people thought Dr. Livingston, the missionary, had died because they had no report of where he was or what he was doing. For seven years, they could not find him and had no trace of what he was doing. Dr. Livingston was a missionary from England that went to Africa and by the end of his life had changed Africa through his missions work to the point where England sent over a whole force of soldiers to retrieve his body to be brought back to be buried at Westminster Abbey. But when they arrived, the natives had already cut out his heart because they said, you can have his body, but his heart will always remain in Africa. That's how much they loved him. The story is that Stanley found Livingston, as you probably have heard the quote, Livingston, I assume, or something like that. But the story goes that as Livingston would go through the jungle, he had his group of Englishmen and, and all the resources that they brought to go from tribe to tribe and tell the good news of Jesus Christ, that the resources began to dwindle because they were stolen. The, the natives in Africa would come in and steal things from their, their resources to the point where they had gotten dangerously low and they, they couldn't survive. And one of the natives told them that you need to make and cut covenant with the powerful chieftain. So Livingston sought out this chief, and after several days of negotiation, they decided to cut covenant. And the story goes is the chieftain came with his entourage, and Livingston came with his, and they sat down, and they discussed the terms. What would happen is that they would cut their uh, arms and mix it with gunpowder. And the story goes several different ways, but the translation I heard is that they would mix the blood together. But not only did they do that ceremony, but the, the ceremony was sealed by the giving of gifts to one another. The chief went through all the resources that Livingston had left, and, and the one gift that he wanted was Livingston's goat. Now, that might not sound much, but the, the story is that Livingston had uh, uh, problems with digestion, and that goat was a valuable source for milk. And, and through kind of verbal history or tradition, it says that Livingston would say, oh, I wish he would have taken anything, but not that goat that's so valuable to me. And in return, uh, the, the chieftain of all his resources, he would, he would look through his resources and he gave, I should have had this ready beforehand, but just for illustration, he gave him a stick. It was his staff. 
and the story is that Livingston looked at that staff, and it was odd, it was unique, and, and, and it could be recognized as the chieftains, but he thought, I traded that dove for a slave. And he said that he was so disappointed because he missed that dove. But after they exchanged gifts, the, the tribal custom was that one of their religious people stood up and pronounced a curse over anybody in the African tribes that would ever break this covenant. Being a Christian, done out. No count for them. But Livingston thought, okay, well, I wonder what this is going to do for me. The chieftain stood up after the ceremony and yelled as loud as he could, Brothers, come buy and sell with Livingston. He's a blood brother. After the ceremony, Livingston got all his stuff together and his entourage went back to the group that was traveling through Africa. And he began to realize and eventually came to terms with he didn't ever have to even have a night guard over his resources. Because everybody in that area, the word got out that he was in covenant with that chieftain king, the most powerful king in the whole region. And if anybody stole anything, it was as if they were stealing from that chief. If anybody stole from that chief, it would be a sentence of death for that person. The story goes that Livingston would go through the, the, the bush in, in the jungles in, of Africa and begin speaking the good news. And every once in a while, a warrior would stand up and begin to challenge him. And a group of warriors would come out against their tribe. And he would just hold up that stick. And those warriors would run like they were scared to death. The power was in the recognition of who he had cut covenant with. They would see the scar on his arm and realize that the chief had cut covenant with him and that if they did any kind, if they attacked Livingston and his group, they were attacking that tribe and they would come after him too. Cutting covenant throughout history was when a weaker tribe entered into a covenant with a stronger tribe to keep from being destroyed. In business, it was when a business partnership be between two men became one to make that business agreement stronger. In the case of Jonathan and David, it was when two men would devote themselves to each other, listen, but not just to themselves, but to their family, even to the third generation would honor a covenant. They say that Livingston, by the end of his reign, or by the time that he was done as a missionary, on his arms had 50 different slashes that he had cut covenant with chieftains all over the country of Africa. He would go into distant places, and again, people would come out to fight him, and he would just hold up his arms and that they would see those scars that represented covenants with all the powerful tribes, and they would run. Today, when we meet with friends, we don't show our scars, we shake hands. But again, it is to signify that we are friends, that we have no hidden weapons that will come against each other. Now this morning, if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, this is one of the most amazing story of love. It's a, I believe, as I said earlier, it's a symbol of the love that God has for us through this story of man, Jonathan, and David. David has now become king, and Saul is not king. There's a transfer of power, and David has become the most powerful man in the, the whole kingdom. 
David has now moved, you know, and it's in Hebron. He starts and then he moves to Jerusalem to set up his, his palace and his, his, uh, his reign. And anybody in this time period, it was tradition, not in, in Israel, but in other parts, for the new king to root out all of the kings, the former king, his sons, and even sometimes near relatives, to put an end to their lives so that they would not have a way of coming back for revenge. And in the first, I'm, I'm sorry, in chapter 9, it says this. David must be sitting around in his castle and he's probably thinking of the things and he, he's probably thinking, you know, what? who am I that I'm here? And I, I just wonder if he gets to this point and he says, it says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Listen, for Jonathan's sake. covenant is working but the covenant took place years ago but I want you to hear this it, it, there has been time that has elapsed but on this day David says is there not somebody for Jonathan's sake that's still alive that I can show kindness to and one of the servants, former servants of King Saul said, yeah, yeah, there, there is somebody, and his name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is this uh, son of Jonathan. Now listen to me, I'm going to summarize because of time. Mephibosheth was a young little boy. When the power transfer took place, Saul had been killed, Jonathan had been killed, and a nurse grabbed him up because of fear of what could happen to him and began to run, and apparently something happened of an accident where either she fell on this little baby or maybe even did a tumble down a mountain or a hill or something, but he became crippled in both of his legs. Now he has grown into a man, but he is still crippled. He has gone to a place where the, this servant says, when David says, well, where is he? He's not around here. I, I, I don't see him. And, and Ziba is the servant, and Ziba says, no, no, he's out in a place called Lodibar. He's staying at a place that, that the, the guy that's keeping him is Makar. So David says this, go get him, bring him here. Now I want you to hear this because this is a lesson for some of us. If you're hearing about the goodness of God that's about ready to happen, some of us will gravitate to the negative. Oh, I bet he's going to go kill that young man. And sometimes God begins to work his goodness and loving kindness in our life and we begin to Walk in fear, doubt, and unbelief in the middle of it. Don't do that. Did you hear that, John Miller? Don't do that. And the Bible says that they bring Mephibosheth and they, they, they bring him up to the palace and, and, and they present him to David and David is there to welcome him. And it says in, in verse right there, it says, what is that, verse 6? It says, David said, Mephibosheth. My translation has an exclamation mark. And he replies, at your service. In verse 7 it says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness. For why? Why, why is he going to show him kindness? He doesn't even know him. It says, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to you all the land that belonged to your God, grandfather Saul, and you will always be at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I want you to remember that. Because right after that, David sends for that servant again, Ziba, and says, I'm restoring all of those 
fields, all those possessions that Saul, the king, had. Can you imagine how many Saul had? I'm going to give it to his grandson, Mephibosheth. And I want you. Ziba had, I think, 15 sons and 20 servants. And I want you, because I'm the king, I'm commissioning you to work those fields for him and bring him a tithe. And he said, I'll do it. And now I want you to hear this because this is important. So many times God begins to work in our lives and we begin to walk in the place of, could God be that good? Can, can I just read you, because of time, I want to just read you. Look at this. Here is a man named Mephibosheth. He's hiding from the king. His heart is filled with fear that the new king would call him and to execute him. He was unaware of the king's love that was to be extended towards him. These are observations that I've got down. Many of those who do not know the love of God are afraid of him. Like Adam, they are hiding from their best possible friend. Listen to this. How he's in a bad place because Mephibosheth was in the house of Machar, which is a, a, a word for sold. He was in a place called Lodibar. That was the area that he was staying in and hiding in, which meant no pasture. Just dried up. Once this guy was part of Saul's family, but now his father and grandfather had been killed and there was a new king. He had nothing to look forward to but death. Away from God, the sinner is without hope. I'm almost, I'm almost done. Listen to this. Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. When he was five years old, he was injured in a fall. His helpless condition, think about this, couldn't be a picture of each of us without Christ. We cannot walk right before the Lord because we are damaged by the fall and we inherit the nature of sin. Without Christ, we are helpless to walk upright. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. It says that we all have gone astray. It says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But then listen to the salvation. The king's invitation. David sought from Mephibosheth, just like Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He sent his servant to find him and bring him. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. This is an invitation that is all of grace. Mephibosheth certainly didn't deserve it. Listen to Mephibosheth's response. He could have refused to come, but he really had nowhere to go. Oftentimes, that's the same thing with us as, as before we come to Christ. Really, we have nowhere to go. When we come to Christ, we're empty-handed, nothing to offer, but we receive everything freely by grace. But listen to the blessings. He believed the message the king wanted him, and here's what he wanted him to know. I'm going to show kindness and loving kindness to you. He humbled himself before the king. He said, who am I? In other words, why am I here? He found, listen to this, he found that he was accepted not on the basis of who he was, but on the basis because of another, his father Jonathan. He was adopted into the royal family. He received a new home, a new residence, which was the palace. He received a great inheritance. And now he's eating at the king's table. See, revelation of who God is in your life. You'll ask one question, why am I here? And at that moment, it's because you answer back, not because of me, it's because of my father. Now listen to me. Can you imagine this man that has to crawl on the ground and he's in Lodi Bar and it's dirty 
and I don't know, but I, I, this is my own conjecture that I'm thinking that here he is and every day that he's got to kind of, you know, kind of ask for food in this house and he's not very, uh, looks very royal, but his father was. And, and he's thinking, you know, what am I doing here? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a dog. And one day he hears chariots pulling up and he thinks, this is what I've been waiting on. I'm going to die. The king found me. Someone told the king where I was. And can you imagine as, as he maybe pulls himself up and he looks out and he's confirmed that those are the king's chariots? And they put him in the chariot and they say, now the king would like to have a, a meeting with you. And they take him all the way to, to Jerusalem and they get him up on the hill and there's the palace and, he, and they get him and the king is standing there. I've been waiting on you. And he's thinking to himself as he's going to his room, you know, uh-oh. Either I'm going to sit at the table and eat or somebody's going to eat me. Maybe the servants came in and they said, Master, Mephibosheth, we got all your clothes out ready to go. You got Gucci and Louis Vuitton and all the nice stuff. And, and what, what, what temperature do you like your bath that's being going right now? And, and, you know, afterwards we'll take you on a trip to show you where your grandfather used to own. Now you own all these fields. They're in full harvest. You're going to receive an, a pretty good income here in a couple of weeks when the harvest comes. And you think about this young guy that was crawling in the dirt just a few hours earlier. And all of a sudden he receives the word that he's going to now be sitting at the king's table. David says, you won't leave. You'll stay here. You'll be eating at my table. Now, this is John Miller. This isn't in the Bible, but fast forward a couple weeks, a couple months. And life happens, doesn't it? Come on. We, we live with people. And I just wonder if there wasn't somebody in the palace that kind of maybe scratched their head and said, what's that guy doing in the palace? He's crippled. He can't do anything for the king. He's no good for Israel. Matter of fact, his father was destroyed. God had a point in doing all. You know what I mean? Sometimes we cloak it in Bible reasons why to be mean. And I wonder if just how life is. Mephibosheth might have overheard somebody saying, who's he? And I can see Mephibosheth saying, hey, can I, can I talk to you a minute? And that can tank your spirit says, yeah, you want to talk to me? Yeah, you were talking about what I have, why I am here at the king's palace. Amen? I want you to just think about it a minute. Did you, did you see that robe that the king was wearing the other day? Yeah? That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. Do, do, do you see when, when he went out to fight the Philistines on that battle? Yeah, that we won? Yeah. Do you remember what he was wearing? That sword, that, that was my father. Have you, have you gone to the king's closet and, and saw right there the, the bow? That's my father's job. That, that's why I'm here. Not because of me, but because of who my father is. And, and when I understand, I can see Mephibosheth, the day that I understand why am I here is because of my father. So this morning as we come to the end of this message and we get to the place of we think, you know, God has been so good to me. And let me tell you this, if you haven't experienced the goodness of God, that probably the chances are is you're still questioning. Because voices will come, circumstances will come and say, can God, can God do that? And, you know, and, and here's what I want you to hear. Did he defeat darkness? Then he can do it again. Did he redeem you? He can do it again. So here's where I brought you to. Pastor, I'm part of the covenant. 
I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I, I need, I, I got to have a breakthrough. The word is wait. See, see I, I, it's, it's the hardest part. If you realize that if you're in covenant with God, the covenant is working. You're saying, I, I don't see it. I don't feel it. Wait. Those that wait upon the Lord, He shall renew your strength. Let me tell you, you, you might think that I'm preaching this for you, and I am. But I'm preaching this for me. Because, again, the transformation process in our life, in, in our minds, that we have to continually remind ourselves, faith cometh by hearing, not heard the Word of God. I have to tell myself that. I know the Word of God. I can. It's even in preaching a sermon like this, this week, and let me tell you, I'm just like, oh. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Again, as we're singing this song about the wonderful blood that is part of the covenant, that is the blood covenant that we have cut with Jesus. When, when we understand that Jesus holds up his hands of those nail prints hands, th those are the cutting of the covenant. I'm in covenant with you. But here's the thing that we have to understand, that when we're going through what we're going through, that we say, why am I here? It's because of the Father. And he's going to bring me through. If you have your little communion cup, you might want to start that. Because we're going to have you stand and sing this. If you can do two things at one time, you're... You've got it going on. But I'm going to have Lisa sing. And, and the reason why we do this is that you confess it out of your mouth. Let your mouth or let your ear hear your mouth sing.